Today's episode is brought to you by LawnBuddy, the technology partner of Lawn Care Pros. LawnBuddy allows you to automate invoices, manage jobs, accept payments, and do more without breaking the bank. Lawn Care Pros all across the country are calling LawnBuddy exponentially cheaper than 100% of the competition. And it's the best software with great customer service. You can learn more and get started with a free subscription now at LawnBuddy.com to learn more. On today's episode, the founder of The Dad Edge, Larry Hagner. There's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. And sympathy can feel like shit. And empathy feels pretty good. So like, for instance, if you say the words, I'm so sorry that happened to you, it doesn't land as good as you think it does. What it, what it makes the other person feel like is you're here and they're here and you're like just kind of like patting them on, on the shoulder. Empathy is like, wow, that's overwhelming. Like, who wouldn't be overwhelmed? Now it's like, I see you, I feel you, I've been in your shoes and I'm here. Let me just share, Let me let's share this space right now. To where you can you can feel this and bounce things off me and i'll just listen and it again feels very ineffective but it's highly effective hey welcome to the dose a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity bold action and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times it's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling committing to life of service and helping make this place better than we found it well, I'm so excited to bring to you this conversation with Larry Hagner, the founder of The Dad Edge. The mission of The Dad Edge is to empower men to lead and live legendary lives. The Dad Edge empowers men to create these outstanding legendary marriages, create epic connections with our kids, master our personal finances, optimize our health, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and become the leader that we're called to be within our family. I love Larry's story, and I've been a follower of his podcast, The Dead Edge, and we've been connected on Facebook for a number of years here, and I've really appreciated his journey. You're not going to find anyone that's more authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. You know, virtues that I espouse here on this show and that we sh should all connect to as leaders. I love how Larry talks about how he grew up half of his childhood without a father figure in his life and the other half was with a toxic father figure that came and went and so he made this decision when he was young that he was not going to be like that when he had kids they were going to know who their father was he knew firsthand what the devastating effects of growing up without a positive father figure in your life what what that meant and he was going to try to avoid that but when he became a father for the first time in 2006 it became clear they didn't have the skills to be the best for his sons. He was short on patience. He was quick to anger, and his marriage was mediocre at best. When we talk about intentionality on this show, and that's what Larry did, he became intentional. He wanted to learn how to become this legendary father, this man, this husband that he was supposed to be. And certainly it's not easy, and there are challenges and twists all along the way. And that's what we talk about in this 45-minute uh, conversation that I think you're really going to appreciate. We talk about how to become better active listeners, how we can communicate better, it's just a great conversation, and I really think you're going to appreciate Larry and what he stands for. Go check him out at thedadedge.com, and you can connect with all his resources there, his courses, and of course his great outstanding podcast that I highly encourage, particularly if you're a man, a husband, a father, it's a great resource. And so let's get on with it, with this great conversation with Larry Hagner here on The Dose. I love your transparency and your authenticity. What really attracted me to you and your show is when you just put it out there, like in 2010, you'd been a dad for about four years, I think, and, and you post this great picture where you're sitting in the 
couch and your kids laying on your chest and you just got this lost look on your face and you're like, man, I was just, you know, depressed. I was kind of aimless. And then you kind of turn it around. So anyway, I'm just kind of setting the stage, but, um, I love what you're doing, helping dads kind of be intentional about being significant and leading great lives. Right. Well, thank you, my friend. I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, that definitely didn't start pretty by any means. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, what was the, I call them splat moments. What was it for you that you said, you know what, I, I got to do something different. Was there one singular moment or was it just kind of a slow fade into this moment? What was the splat moment that turned it around? The splat moment was, uh, I mean, I, I talked about it in my book. I, I have a new book coming out in September and, um, it's actually on the back of the description of the book and the, 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 the description of the book reads, um, the the and I'm 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 reading it off the top of my head. Uh, the 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 monster that I always swore to protect my kids against was the man that I became in that moment of rage. And what I can tell you, so in 2010, I'm sorry, 2011, I had been a dad for five years, almost six. I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old at the time, and I was your typical guy, you know, um, just meandering my way through marriage and parenting. I mean, this is how crazy. Like I used to think about when it came to this stuff, like about, let's just talk marriage for a second. I always thought I was like, man, you know, marriage is just a slow death of a couple over time. Eventually she and I are probably not going to talk that much. Eventually we're going to stop having sex. Eventually we're going to get tired of each other. Um, and we might even break up. Like literally that was my sick, twisted view of what marriage was probably going to play out like, but it also kind of came from my childhood too. Like my mom was married three times before I turned 18 and she had several, several relationships in between and a couple of live-in boyfriends in there too. So I always saw these relationships start super intense and then end like that was it. Like it was like, okay, well marriage is just a means to divorce. That was my sick and twisted view back then. Um, it's not my view anymore. When I, when I became a father, it was so important for me to be a good father because I was raised in a really crazy, chaotic sort of way. And I don't say that out of pity, but like, um, I didn't even know my biological father growing up. I had no memory of my biological father growing up. In fact, I didn't even meet my biological father. Um, and my mom and him were married for like four or five years. And I didn't even meet him though until I was 12. And that was by mistake. You know, he, uh, he, and then he left again after like six months of us hanging out. And then I didn't actually, we actually didn't even start a relationship until 17 years ago when I was 30 and we were in a, I was in a Starbucks for a meeting and he came walking in to get his morning coffee. So that was kind of, you know, it was very, very crazy things, very oddball things that happened. So that's a long way to say it was like, okay, when I get married, even though I view that hopefully that, you know, I have nothing else to base this marriage on. Everybody around me had gotten divorced growing up. No one in my family really stayed together except for my grandparents. So like, I was like, I just want to do this one time and I want to do it really, really well. And then when I became a father, I'm like, man, I really know what it's like to have not only an absent father, but a toxic father figure. And I don't want that either. And it's really important to me that I do this right. And what I can tell you is that, you know, that's almost that type of template. And we think that sometimes that's enough, but I don't know about you, but I've never gone to Lowe's or Home Depot and bought my new barbecue pit. And when I opened up the instruction manual, it gave me 100 ways not to put the thing together. 
it it gives me the directions on how to put it together, not the 100 ways not to do it. But that was my template of, I'm like, okay, well, I know all these things of what I'm not going to do. So that's enough. So here's what happened. 2011, we were packing up our house and this was the first house my wife and I lived in. And we were getting ready to declutter our home because we were going to move. Now, I hate moving more than life itself. Like it's just a very stressful, burdensome thing. Like I just don't like it. And I was packing up my kid's playroom. And that day, I also found out I was in the medical device industry at the time. I was a sales rep in the medical device industry. I found out that day that my number one customer was going to one of my competitors, which was going to greatly and significantly impact my commissions and income over the next six to 12 months. So I already felt really defeated. I already felt very impatient. My marriage was okay. It was mediocre. It wasn't where I thought wanted it to be. My my physical fitness probably were, wasn't where I wanted it to be. My mental and emotional well-being was never, you know, where it meant to be because I would just stuff everything down. You know, don't feel it. Just keep going. Right. And I was packing up my kid's playroom and my four-year-old comes walking down. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to take a break. Um, please don't get out anything that dad has already packed. I'd spent like three hours doing it. And he's like, okay, no problem. And, you know, I look back on that and I was like, that was ridiculous to even think that he wouldn't. So I come back downstairs and what do you think a four-year-old's going to do? Right. He's going to open up one box, pull some things out. He's going to get really curious. Like, oh, these toys I haven't seen for a while. And he pulled out everything. And man, in a total fit of rage, I spanked him. And that was mm-hmm. the first and last time I ever put my hands on my kids in rage because I promised myself I would never do that because I was raised that way. And when I spanked him out of rage, I knocked him over and he fell to the ground. And I was like, oh my God, like, what have I done? I didn't hit him to the point where it was like so ferocious. It was probably disturbing to watch, but I hit him hard enough that he fell. Right. And, and I'm not trying to justify that. There's no excuse for that. And I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And like, I was like, I literally just got my bearings and then I went down to help him up and he looked at me like totally different, totally different. Like I was a monster. Mm And it was in that moment that I was like, oh my God, like I didn't even see my son. I saw me because that is how I was raised. And I was just, I thought to myself, my wife, who is one of the most respectful, appreciative women that I've ever met, she's never condescending. She never emasculates me. She only tries to build me up. If she ever says anything that's critical, man, do I listen because it doesn't come around often. And I know that she's right. And my wife who never talks to me this way goes, wow, seriously, seriously? Like he's four, Larry, he's four. He wanted his toys. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. I mean, it was, so, it, I already knew what I did was wrong. And when she said that, I was like, oh man, now I really know. Just and like I had, a hammer coming down. Yeah. Yeah. So much shame, so much guilt. I wanted to just crawl into a hole and die. Like yeah. literally it was the one thing I told myself I wouldn't do. And it was that night I went into my office and what do you do when you're an adult? you know, and you have a bad moment, you go on social media and you look at everybody else's life. So you don't have to think about your own. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I saw this button on the left-hand corner. It said, create a page. I had never created a page, never even knew how to do it, but that man, there was something in me and I'm a very faith-based person. I swear to God that that was, that was just divine intervention of God giving me like a, a punch in the arm. And I clicked that button and the thing popped up. So what do you want to name your page? And literally, I didn't even think about it. The Good Dad Project. Boom. Just the Good Dad Project. And it was that moment that I was like, I don't know how many people know this, but I was the project. Yeah. That page was going to be nothing more 
than me having a record of things that I was learning. And in that moment, I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about work. I was really good at my job, even though I lost my, my number one customer that day, but I was really good at my job. I always make quota. I was like, what's the common denominator there? Well, I'm always asking for help and I'm always going through training and I'm always trying to refine my skills and my customer focus skills and my communication and all this. I was in martial arts. I'm like, well, why am I good at that? Well, I, I go to class every week. I learn something new. I practice, practice, practice. You know, why do I have a degree in health management with a minor in nutrition? It's because I went to college for it. And I, I spent four years of my life training in that area. So that's why I know that stuff. How much time have I spent in parenting? How much time have I spent in mindset? How much time have I spent in marriage? Nothing. Yeah, zero. So I thought zero. And so it was in that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to treat this like anything else. Like, what if I just go out and learn something new every day about what it means to be more patient, what it means to be a better parent, what it means to be a better communicator, how to create more intimacy, whatever it looks like, I'm just going to put it here. And I did that. And that was the start. It wasn't pretty. And it was probably one of the darkest moments of my entire life. And, but that was it. I love that story. So many things there, but it, it, it speaks to, I'm trying to remember the quote I was thinking, I don't know even who said that. I think it was a poet or somebody, but most, most men live lives of quiet desperation or something like that. I can't remember who said that. I need to look that up, who attributed that. Um, have you heard that before? That quote. I have most 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 men lead quiet lives of desperation, taking their best. I think it's either songs and hymns and ideas to their grave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many? I mean, I'm sure you, with all the men that have that you've come in contact with from doing this project and doing this. I mean, you, it, it. So many men can relate to that, right? And how you're sitting there, you lost it. You probably didn't. When you lost that client, you probably weren't telling a lot of people about it. You probably didn't speak to your wife about it. You know, maybe you did a little bit in passing, but you didn't really explore how that felt to you. So you just internalize it. Like you said, you just compartmentalize, compartmentalize. And we do. And and compartmentalization is a great skill, right? We have to do it. When I fly planes, I learned that in the Marine Corps thing. You have to learn how to compartmentalize and and have a good front. But at some point, it's got to come out, right? And what you're providing or what you're doing starting this project it is like, this is okay to talk about it. We can sit there. We can, you know, it's kind of like, it's a relief valve. I was thinking about as you're talking like, like doing this project, it, it's a relief valve for, for men. Right. And for fathers, I just don't know why we do that. Why we internalize it. I still have to be intentional about that today. Right. Even with all the stuff that I've learned and everything. And I love, you know, how, how you kind of came to what you're doing, kind of similar things for me where I was short on patience, where I could do a good front. I was good at what I did. I was proud of the things that I did, but then in private, I wasn't too proud of myself. Right. I mean, I still felt unworthy or I still felt not good enough. And I've learned that, you know, by doing the show and speaking and teaching and coaching about leadership, that we all have limiting beliefs and self-doubt. I don't think it ever, it never goes away. I used to think it was, there was something wrong with me that I had these limiting beliefs in the, in this, this doubt and beating myself up because I wasn't patient. And when I started being forgiving of myself and just kind of realizing, look, it never goes away. You just have to deal with the, but that isn't the truth. Like if I hear a limiting belief or a doubt or I am impatient or whatever, I lose my, and I, that's not me, right? I just know that there's a better me in there. I don't know. Does that make sense? I'm just kind of speaking off the top of my head. Some of the, the feelings and thoughts I was thinking as you're telling me that story. Does any of that resonate with you with what I was saying? It, it totally does. You know, I think a lot of it 
might have to do with <clears throat> so like nature versus nurture, right? Or like the nature of men and maybe the environment that we were raised in. Not that all of us like have daddy issues or parent issues or that kind of thing. But if you think about it, we, we really do a good job, I think, as a society to set men up for failure, right? Because think about it. If you are the father and the husband, um, society will tell you, man up, grow a set, put your head down, don't feel it, get through it, plow through it, toughen right. up, all these things, right? And so what we forget is that men are human beings, right? We, we're human beings that experience emotion, self-doubt, resistance, you know, all these things. Yet we don't talk about it because number one, we view ourselves as, well, if I talk about it, other people will know. And I'll be, I'll be viewed as weak. Right. Or if I, if I talk about it, um, I'm, I, I'm not being the leader of my family. Like my wife is going to think I just can't handle it. And by the way, if I say it out loud, right. If I say it out loud and I hear myself say it, I'm going to think I'm weak. Right. Right. It's so, so we're right then and there, we're already not giving ourselves permission to even feel these things. In fact, right. we're giving, we're actually giving ourselves um, we're, we're actually not giving ourselves the opportunity to feel emotion. And I, I mean, I think you can also take this way too far and become like a weeping sponge and you don't want that. Either, I agree. Right? Yeah. But, you, but to your point it. though, I think I, I like what you said. I mean, it's giving yourself the permission to feel it and just, you know, you, there's a time and a place where you can feel it and it's not, there's, it's, it just is, it's kind of like a stoic philosophy. It's not either good or bad. It's just like, this is what I'm feeling right now. And it's, and to me, it's, it's an exercise in self-awareness. Because once you become aware of it, to me, that's 80% of the battle. Like, okay, I'm feeling like, like, and I hear myself say it out loud, like, uh, why are you so stupid or why are you so weak? Then the, if you turn the volume up on the self-awareness meter, you're like, wait a second. Because the next thing that when you become self-aware, the next thing you do is like, wait a second, you're not weak. Even though you may not feel in the moment, you can start the process by saying, you can start you know, with the, to me, it's a place of gratitude to start saying thank you for looking at all the things. And it kind of leads me to this place of strength, if that makes sense. Right. So I allow myself to have that momentary feeling of weakness, of shame or whatever. And then I go through an intentional process of building myself back up constantly. Right. This doesn't, I think there, to me, the, I always had this myth that you had to, you know, plant a flag and say, I've arrived and I'm done. I'm never going to have that feeling of weakness again. It's not the case, right? It's something that I have to battle, that resistance I have to battle every single day of every single moment of every day. Does, I does couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, and in fact, what, what I think you're really getting at is, you know, emotion, I heard Gary John Bishop say this, and he's the New York Times bestselling author of, of Unf Yourself and Stop Doing That. It's basically his entire thing is like self-sabotage. But um, emotions are neither bad nor good. They just are. They just are. Yeah. They just are. And <clears throat> here's, the, here's the thing. Um, if we, what, what most men will do when we start to feel discomfort in our emotions is we'll do a, we'll do a couple things. Number one is we will usually give in to comfort, distraction through through addiction or vice, right? So few of the sneakiest ones out there, right? <clears throat> so if we're feeling uncomfortable emotions or we don't feel like up to the task, we'll, we'll do an edible or we'll smoke some weed or we'll drink some beer, right? Um, if we're having an uncomfortable situation, we're stressed out or overwhelmed, we'll go to porn because that's, that's like just a great, it, it's a massive dopamine hit 
with a huge escape that you don't have to think of anything, right? Except for just that one thing, or we'll go have sex or we'll overeat, you know, we'll do all these things. And then what happens is, is then after we do that thing to cope with the emotions that we don't want to face, then we feel guilt ridden and shamed. And then we self-sabotage down that hole even further. And one of the most beautiful things that a man can do, and one of the toughest things for a man to do is just feel the emotion for what it is, even if it's yeah. a bit, even if it's agonizing, yeah. right? But just sitting with it, not judging it, sitting just sitting it. with it mm -hmm. and just being like, right now I'm, I'm, I'm sad. Right now I'm anxious, right? I'll be really honest. Um, I'm coming off of right now um, a couple of weeks that were really, really intense. Me and my 14 year old. Uh, yeah, doing the bodybuilding thing. Yeah. Doing the bodybuilding thing. Um, and then, you know, it's tax time. My CPA missed a few things. So it ended up costing me way more than I thought in taxes. And I felt tremendous unease and anxiety and uncertain. And it would have been easy for me to like overeat, but I couldn't do that because I had this show. It would have been easy for me to have a few drinks, but I couldn't do that because I had that show. Like I was forced to sit with those emotions and all I could do was sit with them because yeah. I couldn't do anything physically, mentally that was going to deter me from that, from that event with my son. So I had to learn, you know, relearn, right. Um, what it felt like to have no other option, but to sit with that uncertainty and that anxiety and then to deal with it. And while it's uncomfortable, it's, there are some beautiful lessons in that. And the more you try to distract, avoid, or just throw on a whole lot of soothing and comfort, the worse you're going to make that problem over time. That's right. That's a, that's a great example. You know, yesterday I got new, I was the work uh, position that I've been, that was picture perfect for me. And, you know, uh, an opportunity that was pre presented myself that would just be perfect for me in my situation here locally in my town, I can still do my airline job and, and this and start working with this great organization, great people, in a position that on paper looked like a dream job to me. Everything went well. I mean, if you walked out of that interview when I interviewed a couple weeks ago, they were like, yeah, this is, I said, there's no way they're not going to hire me. They, they, I mean, you just got the sense, right? Sure. And then I got the call yesterday morning you know, directly from the, the CEO. And he's like, man, he goes, this is agonizing. You know, it came down to two people and I wish I could hire both of you, but this guy just was, fit a little more in the direction that we needed to go. And it was like a gut punch. You know, I was, I was surprised by the gut punch because it was so, I was so confident that this was a fit, like to the point to where, yeah, this is like divine intervention, like how I found the job, how I do this. I mean, it's going to be perfect for me, you know? And I was a little taken aback at how much it struck me. I was sitting there with my wife and I got the call and I was like, oh, I was like, I got punched in the gut. Oh, to the point where even my eyes were even welling up. Is that, I mean, I was surprised by that, right? Like this is how important that I want or how why how this job was important to me or this opportunity was important to me. And I kind of did the same thing that you did as like, I just sat there with my wife and I, and I sat with it and I didn't judge it, right? I didn't judge the, you know, the welling up or the, the kind of sadness that I felt. And I just sort of talked to my wife a little bit about it and she built me up. And then you just, and then I drove on, right? I think in the past, like you said, I probably would have done something else. I would have retreated, you know, ate too much or did something mind numbing, but I just, I yeah. kind of reflected, right? 
I mean, that's the intentionality that we're talking about. How, how important to you is faith in those matters? I was going to ask you, like when you're feeling that anxiety over the taxes, you got to stay true because you and your son are going to this bodybuilding. Are you turning to God at that point? Uh, you said that faith was important to you. Because that's what I kind of did in that moment. I said, okay, what do you want me to do with this? That's the question I asked myself, right? I didn't get any clear answers, but it, it helped me to start the process anyway. I do turn to my faith. Um, in fact, so I, I have a quite a few rituals around it. So right now I'm actually taking my 16-year-old, my oldest, through um, a guided Bible study that he'll actually graduate from uh, called Operation Timothy. Um, Operation Timothy is, is a one-on-one -on -one discipleship when, you know, if you look at the Bible, you know, the apostle Paul took his, his protege and, and, you know, Timothy looked at Paul as a mentor, um, and he learned everything from Paul. So in this Bible study, it's, it's all online. Um, it's, it's free. And basically what you have to do to become a Paul quote unquote, Paul is to graduate operation Timothy and your Paul had to take you through it. So I literally actually, I'm fresh off the press. Like I literally got my certification yesterday. It took me two years to go through it. Right now, I'm taking my 16-year-old through Operation Timothy, and it's a beautiful way to start off every morning, you know, with a higher power, with something that's bigger than you, right, and, and mm -hmm. things that will help you. You know, the other thing, too, is, like, I always notice that in times where I need to see scripture the most, somehow, someway, it pops up, and it's literally, I'm, so I'm holding up right now, it's called Daily Light for Men, and every day it has a different verse, and then a reflection, and, you know, here I am, fresh off that event. And everything else that's happened and the scripture for today is therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear for your heavenly father already knows that you need in them all so it's really just don't be anxious about anything right and yeah. just trust and for me like i literally took a photo of that and i screenshot it to our family text this morning because they have they have felt like they knew that i, I felt anxious and uncertain and and there were things going on and and they all felt it and I owned it. And I was like, this couldn't have been more timely. So yeah, for me, um, I, I really, really rest on my faith a lot when it comes to things like that. And we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Hey, are you a landscaper still using pen and paper to track all of your jobs? I think it's time you take your business to the next level with my friends, Lawn Buddy, the technology partner of Lawn Care Pros. Look, Lawn Buddy allows you to automate invoices, manage your jobs, accept digital payments, and so much more so you can spend less time managing and more time working. I talked about invoicing. Look, 10 minutes per week invoicing. When a job's complete, an invoice is automatically generated, sent to your customer, and reconciled in QuickBooks. You can be at the job even when you're not. You can track your crew members in real time so you know they are where they say they are and have done what they said they're going to do. You can get paid faster. Allow your customer prepay bids and jobs simply from their phone, eliminating any cash flow problems. Again, it's all about spending less time managing and more time working. With Lawn Buddy, you get a team of experts that support your business and enable growth from the day that you start to the day you retire. Lawn Care Pros all across the country are calling Lawn Buddy, quote, exceptionally cheaper than 100% of the competition and the best software with great customer service. Go check them out. Learn more. Get started with your free subscription at lawnbuddy.com. That's lawnbuddy.com to learn more. And now back to the show. What do you think about, especially as men and as fathers and even as leaders just in general, I think one of the biggest myths is thinking that you have to have all the answers all the time. 
And I think a lot of my stress in my early on in my marriage as a father was I felt this burden that I had to have all the answers. I had to have solutions to everything. And I know that from a marriage standpoint, that led to some, you know, where my wife would come to me or even my kids, they come to me and, and they were already talking and I already would find that I'm not even listening to what they're saying, but I'm already trying to solve their problem before they finished even telling me what the whole, and nine times out of 10, and I got all girls and my wife, they just kind of wanted to tell me, they were just kind of venting. Uh, to the point now to where it's kind of the running joke with the families. Like I sit there and, and they come up to me and they tell me things and they kind of make fun of me because I just go, huh, you know, because I'm processing. Whereas before I was like, well, you need to do this. You need to think about doing that. And now I kind of better bring it back because now they're wanting more advice. They're kind of wanting more direction sometimes, but I'm just kind of like, hmm, because I'm just figuring they're just, I'm just processing and I'm letting them vent. I don't know. Does any of that resonate with you in you, your experience or some of the men you've come across that, you know, that, that we have to solve everybody's problem? Totally. Um, and I, I, I've got some theories behind this as well, just from other podcast guests that I've, I've had on. So, you know, let's just talk about, you know, emotional IQ in men, right? So, or let's just talk about, first before we get to emotional IQ, let's just talk about how men operate with other men. So if I'm going through something, and if, if Richard, I come to you and I, and, and I come to you with something, it's because I want your advice and counsel, right? What do you, what do you see that I don't, what do you think I should do? That's why I'm even talking about it in the first place. I'm That's not, right. I'm not, I'm not talking to you because I want to vent or hear myself talk. I'm talking to you because I value your advice, your experience, your expertise and your opinion. And I want you to tell me some things that I don't see, or have you been down the road that I'm traveling or what you think I should do. That's, that's the whole purpose of me coming to you. Now with our daughters and our wives, it's totally different, right? When they come to us, I like to call it the 80, 20 rule. I have no statistics to back this up, but I just, it's just what I've seen. The 80, 20 rule is that when a, when a female in your life comes to you and talks about something that they're carrying, maybe it's venting or challenging or something or whatever, 80% of the time, zero advice that they want. In fact, giving them advice if they're in that 80% mindset and heart and heartfelt scent, that is the one worst thing you can do because then they actually feel unheard. Yeah. And there's a reason, there's a reason for that because like for men, that's very confusing. They're like, what are you talking about? I heard everything you said. I just gave you my opinion and what, how women take it is you gave me your opinion because you stopped listening to me and you started thinking about the solution. Yep. So you actually weren't listening as intently as you think. Here's the other thing too, in that 80% realm, Women are looking for one thing. Well, actually three things. They want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. And they want to feel safe. And I would add the fourth, which is connected. That's the whole reason they're talking to you. I want connection with you. I don't want your advisement. I want to connect with you. And I'm thinking and talking and sharing with you out loud. And this is how I connect. Most men miss the boat on that. They think, well, if she's coming to me, then she obviously wants my worldly advice wisdom around this. And that's actually yeah. not the case. 20% of the time, I, I would say that is the case where your wife comes to you and she's like, uh, we need to talk about a solution to this issue. Right. Or if you're unclear, you ask, but in real quick, before we get to the next thing, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the emotional IQ of, of men. So we're not raised with the highest emotional IQ. And that's because a lot of times our dads really didn't have it. Right. You know, yeah. I don't know about you, but I was raised with babies. Don't cry. Be quiet, man up, toughen up. Like that was it, right? 
that's terrible advice. And usually what that means is your dad really didn't know what to do and he really didn't know what empathy looked like. So here's the thing. When people come at men, when we have, when we don't have a lot of experience having empathy ourselves, like empathy towards us, and then being taught how to be empathetic, hearing somebody else's emotions makes us very uncomfortable and it makes it, it's heavy for us. So we immediately want to do the noble thing, which is like, I don't want to feel your pain. And I feel that you feel pain. I feel your pain. I feel really uncomfortable. So the easiest thing for me to do is give you the solution to your problems. So neither one of us feel horribly or are uncomfortable. So we immediately start throwing out the advice, right? Because I just want to take away this pain. And that's the wrong thing to do. One of the best things we can do sometimes, believe it or not, is be like, huh. Or, you know, you could replace that with, that's fascinating. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Tell me more. Right. So yeah. that's how you do it. Yeah. That's great advice. Asking the open-ended questions has, has helped me. Certainly learning how to become a coach has helped me with my conversations with my kids and my wife, like, cause you're listening and you're like, well, tell me more about that. How did that make you feel? What, what do you think we should do? You know, I just start asking questions and I found that opened a whole different avenue for me. Well, number one, it took a huge burden off of me trying to come up with a solution. And secondly, it kind of tapped into those four things that you were talking about. Just by asking those questions, they felt seen, they felt heard, they felt connected with me because I'm just asking questions. I'm like, tell me more. What? How? One thing I found too is if like if something made them angry or they're really, I said, man, I can see how that makes you angry. So yeah. What, what do you, what do you choose? What do you think we should do? But how do you think you should deal with that? Right. Because mm -hmm. I think it's about getting it's people to, to a ch uh, reminding people that they always have a choice, no matter what's happening to them, right? No matter how bad the situation may seem, overwhelming it may seem, you're always at a choice, right? What do you think? You do always have a choice. <clears throat> what, we're, what we're talking about here is like emotionally labeling, right? And this is what Chris Voss is so good at. He wrote the book, Chief Hostage Negotiator for the FBI. Wrote yeah, the book, he was awesome. Difference. Mm -hmm. But when you when when you do nothing else but just simply label that person's emotion they feel seen heard and safe so you could say what i like to do is sometimes i even like to take the word you out of it because you can sound accusatory so if yes. my wife is venting to me about something i'll be like man that sounds overwhelming who would who would not be overwhelmed going through something like that tell me more right so i'll label the emotion that i think she's probably feeling and I'll even sometimes take the word you out of it because I could be like, sounds like you're overwhelmed. That could also come across as like, well, I pity you or sounds like you are overwhelmed. And the way she could take it, depending on her emotional state is like, well, I, you don't think I'm up to it, you know, like or something like that. And that's why I like to be, make it more general and be like, that sounds overwhelming. My gosh, yeah. who would not be overwhelmed? Like that just sounds really stressful. Tell me more about that. So it sounds, you know, it, it feels like it's ineffective for men because it's like, well, if I'm not giving her advice on how to overcome this, isn't that terrible of me? No, it's not. It's actually what, what you're trying to achieve, you achieve just through labeling alone. So here's the other thing too. If, if, you, men, are, if men are sitting there thinking like, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I emotionally label? Here's what you do. And here's what I always do. And, and now for me, I've been doing it now for so long. It's just habit. I don't necessarily, I listen to the words, right? But I'm trying to look for what what I'm asking myself is what emotion is Jessica feeling right now? Judging by her voice tone, judging by the words, the body language that I see, the, even the tone in her voice, what emotion. And here's the other cool thing. So when I, when I have it locked in, I'm like, 
she's overwhelmed. Yeah. Tell, right. Yeah. But here's, here's the beautiful thing is when you're looking for the emotion, you become this insane listener. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're, it's almost like spidey senses at this point, because if you're no longer trying to listen for words and you're looking, listening for emotion, you're hanging on every word that she says because you're trying to accurately do it. And here's the other thing too. I'll, I'll share this one last thing. Even if you label her emotion wrong or the other person's emotional wrong, that's okay. It's right. And if they, if they correct you, it's still psychological. They've done brainwave studies on this. And the calming effect of when you label somebody else's negative emotion, like anger or depression or overwhelmed or whatever, when, when you label it or they self-label it, it has the exact same effect. So like, for instance, you know, I've done this with my kids and I'd be like, man, it feels like you're sad right now. And they'll be like, no, I'm actually not sad. I'm actually really angry. And, and that's great. They have self-labeled, right? Okay. Tell me more about that. And that is one of the most effective and, and one of the, that's the lowest hanging fruit in emotional IQ is just help somebody else label what it is that they're probably feeling. That's really it. It sounds crazy simple and it is, and it's so effective. But it's such great advice. It's so true, right? And to sit there because they sense, even when you're trying to figure out what it is and to say, if you mislabel it, I mean, they, they. I don't, I don't know about that study, but it does, it intuitively makes sense to me that like, because they see that I'm trying to listen to them. Right. I mean, it's the ultimate in listening. They can tell that you're, you're connected with them and trying to figure that out. And again, no judgment there about when you, man, I see like, feels like you're sad. No, I'm not. I'm angry. Yeah. It's so much better than just saying, quit being sad. You know, you don't need to be sad, you know, or whatever the advice we try to tell them to do. No, that is. I'm really glad you I'm really glad you said that. I want to say one more thing because I want to make sure that the audience hears this. There's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. For sure. And you and, and sympathy can feel like shit, right? Mm-hmm. And empathy feels pretty good. So like, for instance, if you say the words, I'm so sorry that happened to you, it doesn't land as good as you think it does. In yeah. fact, it usually, what it, what it makes the other person feel like is you're here and they're here and you're exactly. like just kind of like patting them on, on the shoulder. Empathy is like, wow, that's overwhelming. Like who wouldn't be overwhelmed? I know exactly how you feel. Man, now it's like, I see you, I feel you. I've been mm-hmm. in your shoes and I'm here. Let me just share Let me, let's share this space right now to where you can, you can feel this and bounce things off me and I'll just listen. And it again, feels very ineffective, no. but it's highly effective. Yeah. You know, I think that I try to get this across to my kids that and I learned this late in life. You know, this is something that I wish I would have known in my 20s and 30s. What you just said right there is that if you can get to the point to where you you can actually see and feel what it's like to be in that person's shoes, that's the ticket to almost everything. I mean, it stops the division. It stops the, and again, it's not sympathy. It's not patting them on the shoulder to your point. It's like, trying to see, you know, we're even in the case where, you know, you come storming into my office and you, you're ranting and raving at me and you're calling me an asshole, you know, instead of reacting, my normal puff up, what do you mean, Larry? I'm not an asshole. You know, you're the asshole is to just take a moment and just say, well, why does he see me as an, why, why is, why does he think that you may be completely wrong? 
but there's a lot to be gained from at least trying to see from your perspective. Well, why in the world would he even say that? What is he seeing about me that I'm missing? Again, you may be. It doesn't mean you have to accept that premise. It doesn't mean I have to accept your, you know, what you're saying. But at least you're. I'm trying to understand why you would even look at it that way, right? Yeah. Be, yeah. Uh, it's the key to everything. It's like the emotional quotient piece is so huge and so powerful. I think if you, we spent the rest of our lives trying to increase that muscle, the world would be a better place. You know, if everybody was focusing how to be emotionally intelligent, right? I agree. And here's, here's the other beautiful thing, right? Um, many men think that these skills start and stop with us, right? We're like, well, if I'm learning these skills and I'm doing them, then it starts and stops with me, right? Um, it's kind of like uh, learning martial arts and no one in your family is learning martial arts but you. But the best lessons are caught and not taught, right? So here's the thing. Like I now have a 16-year-old. My 16-year-old, I call him the empathetic ninja. <laughs> he is, his emotional IQ is off the charts. Um, you know, he, he struggles with school and stuff like that sometimes. But emotional, like the way this kid can build trust and, and talk and conversate and, and have he's the, the emotional IQ, he, he is already, like I tell him, I was like, you are a born leader. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. Like way you influence people, the way you see people, the way you understand people, the way you guide them through conversations is better than most adults that I know. And here's the really cool thing. So like I do this with my kids all the time, like for years I've been doing it. And here's the really cool thing. My son will, if I'm going through something and I even get into my old habits, like I just did it the other night where I was kind of stressed out and overwhelmed and I was quiet and I wasn't really, we were playing, um, a video game and he just wanted to hang out and I was stoic and I was kind of to myself and I was in my head and my son looked at me and he goes, I see the hamster wheel turning. <laughs> what are you thinking about? And I'm like, and I'm like, I, yeah, I did the typical dude thing. I was just like, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I just got a lot on my mind. He's like, yeah, I get that. Tell me more. And oh, I'm like, wow. <laughs> he's 16. He's 16. I'm like, tell you more. And to be quite honest, it was, I was stressed out because of, um, I would say a bit of an issue I'm having with my own father right now. And, you know, there was, I was kind of going through some hurt feelings a little bit. And I thought to myself, I don't want to dump this on my kid. You know, I don't want him to see me like this or, or view my dad in a certain way. And he kept probing and asking, he's like, just tell me what's going on. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, well, here it is. And I told him, he was like, oh yeah, like I think anybody be hurt over that. And I'm like, damn, those are some good skills right there. It is. So like that, that's a long way to say that for men listening to this, right? These skills of emotional IQ, and this is like dose of leadership, right? You can lead your kids by doing these skills yourself and allowing them to catch you doing it. Allow them to experience what it feels like to have a conversation with a man who has a higher emotional IQ and is able to guide them through things like labeling and mirroring and being a, and creating environments of psychological safety. Cause guess what? They will pick that stuff up and they will do it in yeah. their own conversations. Right. Yeah. And I I've heard my 16 year old even do it with his girlfriend, like where wow. she'll be going through a bad day and he'll listen to her and he'll ask more questions and he'll be like, tell me more. Yeah. That sounds really overwhelming. And I'm like, who the hell are you? Damn. <laughs> so that's those lessons good. are caught and yeah. make sure that you're doing them. Yeah. I got a kid like that too, that 
she stresses about the schoolwork stuff. And, and I was like, but man, you've got this empathy gene that, and I keep trying to tell her, if I would have known that, you know, that that's the kind of the, the keys to the kingdom, right? That's the secret sauce to great relationships, to, to influence, to, to making the place better than you found it. All those things are kind of wrapped up in that, that ability to listen and empathize. That's huge. That's great that your son's doing that. Well, Matt, I'm excited. Everything We could talk for hours. I know I'm pressing up against the clock here. And as you heard my dogs barking, I've got an appointment with a sighting guy out there. I apologize for that. But tell me about, as we're wrapping up here, the pursuit of the legendary fatherhood. You mentioned it at the beginning. I'm excited for this book to come out September 6th. What's the genesis behind the book? Who's it for? And what can we expect to find in this book? Um, so the book is, it's, you know, basically what I did. So I wrote a book back in 2015. So seven years ago, actually, it's crazy. I think that both books actually have the same launch date. Just That's crazy, years. man. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it out loud. So I wrote the data edge in 2015 and basically how I wrote that. I mean, it's, it's nine chapters. It's a hundred page book. It's, it's like super simple. Um, and it was the basic, I basic things that I, that, that I was learning as a dad myself. And I, I really wrote the book, not from a pulpit by any means. I wrote it as if I was writing a book of advice to my former self, or if it was like my best friend and like, and I just, I, I learned some things along the way through doing dad edge. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. It's a couple of things of marriage, a couple of things of patience, a couple of things with kids. Um, for this one, the book is actually divided up into a few different parts. Uh, number one is what I call the drift. The drift is what most men experience, which is like the wash, rinse, repeat cycle, right? It's, it's every day feels like the last, just get through the day. Good, fine, busy, very surface level. You know, let me, and then as we talked about before, most men will live lives of desperation, isolation, taking their best songs and hymns to their grave. So that's what the drift is all about. I go into a lot of detail about what the drift is and like the everyday life of some of the men out there. Um, there's also a section on what what we call the five dimensions of being a man, husband, father. What those are, right? It's it's uh, creating extraordinary marriage, uh, an epic connect, connection with your kids. Uh, leadership is one. Um, optimizing physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and mastering your finances as a family. Because fifty percent of divorces are due to finances. Yeah. I don't really dive too much into the books. I'm not a finance guy, but it's the one that I, I dive into the least. So then there's a whole section on marriage what that looks like and the four, four elements within marriage. Then there is um, connection with your kids. Then there's a whole chapter on raising young men, a whole chapter on raising young women, and then the seven pillars of leadership as a man, husband, father. That's how the book is divided up. Dude, that sounds awesome. Thank you. When that comes out, will you come back? And can we deep dive in that book to. when you come back? Because this book sounds to. amazing. I can't wait for it to come out. Tell everybody about your podcast, how they can connect with you. I love everything you're doing, but how, how can they learn more about you and, and listen to your podcast and connect with you? Not hard to find at all. All you have to do is go to Google and just type in Dad Edge. <laughs> everything <laughs> will come up. But everything can be found at the dadedge.com. Um, I've got several different free things on there for married guys. One of them is one of my brand newest resources. It's totally free. It's 25 intimate conversation starters where I teach you the psychology behind what's called generative questions and intimate and creating more intimacy and connection with your wife. Um, on, on Instagram and social, everything is the data edge, everything. So you can find me at the data edge everywhere. And the podcast is 
on, I think every single channel. Yep. Um, that's out there possible, even like iHeartRadio and Pandora and Spotify and everything. Awesome stuff. I'm a huge fan. I'm always here to support you. You always got a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership. Larry, I'm so glad we connected. I look forward to talking to you in a few months when your book comes out. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.